Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, today we're beginning a new two-week series called A Well-Researched Christmas. So let's turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message titled, A Well-Researched Christmas. I have for many years had a love-hate relationship with Christmas. Let's start with what I hate. You know, I hate the idea that Christmas, even in the minds of many contemporary North American Christians, Christmas is a bigger event than Easter. See, I can't understand how we've allowed it to be that, and it's wrong for, for good biblical reasons. Easter is the centerpiece of our faith, yet we treat Christmas as if it were. I, I can't stand that. I also don't like how the birth of Christ and contemporary merchandising and, and popular myths about a, a big fat guy dressed in red and in a sleigh, how that got all mixed in with the story of Christ's birth. And I really don't like that at each Christmas, either CNN or some other news organization does a research on the, quote, real Jesus, interviewing pseudo-intellectuals who, for anyone who knows what they're talking about, recognizes what they say as bovine caca. I hate all of that every time we come to Christmas. There, I got it off my chest. But here's what I love about Christmas. I do love the traditions. You know, where I live in southern British Columbia, there's rarely snow on the ground at Christmas, but it rains all December. And daylight lasts about eight hours in a gloomy, cloud-filled daylight, and then it's dark for 16. But out come the lights, and the atmosphere is transformed, and it's something that's almost mystical. It's really quite lovely. And I genuinely love to recount the most amazing birth in human history, and I love to retell the story that at that moment, the people who were walking in darkness, darkness like an overcast, gloomy, wet December, where everyone becomes depressed, in just such a world, a great light has shone. This, for me, is something that I nurture. So there it is. But let me get back to what I hate. You know, it's easier to rant about that, so bear with me for a moment. You know, it seems that a Christmas doesn't go by when someone will say, didn't you know that the four accounts in the Bible that describe the life of Jesus, only two of them actually mention the virgin birth? It's as if they're saying, well, look, only 50% of the biblical accounts even think this is important. And given this data in our day, when we know that virgin births can't possibly happen, maybe we shouldn't make such a federal case about the virgin birth. Again, as I've said, this stuff is akin to those big round patties that come from a bull's behind. Actually, only two of the four accounts of the life of Jesus even discuss his birth. You know, we could say every birth account of Jesus in the Bible says he was born of a virgin. You see the pseudo-logic that permeates in our day. According to the Christmas pseudo-scholars, since only 50% of the accounts of the life of Jesus even mentioned his birth while using that logic, well, perhaps he wasn't born at all, you know. Perhaps he was hatched or found in a pumpkin patch. Do you see the nonsense that gets said this time of the year? But there's more. Television and the Internet are full of pointing out the differences between Matthew and Luke when describing the birth of Jesus. So why is that? You know, because only Matthew mentions the wise men, and only Matthew mentions Herod and the slaughter of the children in Bethlehem. Luke says nothing about that. And then in contrast, only Luke mentions the shepherds who came to visit Jesus 
or the decree that went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. The two accounts mention very different things. Can all this be harmonized, ask the so-called scholars? But of course, again, what's missing is something even more significant. Did you know that no gospel writer mentions anything of Jesus' life from the age of 3 to 12? And furthermore, after the one incident at the age of 12, you know, the gospel writers mention nothing until the beginning of his public ministry when he was then in his 30s. You know, furthermore, consider what John says at the end of his book. In John 21, verse 25, he says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the whole world itself could not contain the books that would be written. That's to say, it's never the intention of the biblical writers to give us every detail of the account of the life of Jesus. And that's certainly true of the birth of Jesus and of his early years. What we have, we have. Ah, but I can almost hear the critics. Isn't that the problem? And didn't the church suppress other accounts of the life of Jesus? But again, a half-truth is so very deceptive. Those other accounts were written hundreds of years later. They're generally dated around the fourth century, and the biblical accounts, well, those are eyewitness accounts. See, I hope you heard that. If you pick up a book tomorrow that's entitled, Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Slayer, well, you might read it for fun, but you really shouldn't think that it's anything like a historical account. Well, the same is true with what have been called the Gnostic accounts. See, they include, for instance, the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and so forth. See, these books attempt to reframe the life of Jesus from the perspective of a philosophy that didn't even exist when Jesus lived. So in truth, all we have are the four historical accounts of the life of Jesus, those of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And only two of those accounts, that of Matthew and Luke, have a historical account of the birth of Jesus. And furthermore, Matthew and Luke are writing to a very different audience. That's to say, these are both historical accounts, but they emphasize different things that would be meaningful to the people to whom they're writing. So let's start with Matthew. Matthew is writing to a primarily Jewish audience. See, Matthew wants his readers to understand that, that Jesus really is their long-expected Messiah. And by Messiah, he means their long-expected king, the one who would fulfill the ancient promises that come from the Old Testament, the one who will eventually sit on King David's ancient throne and rule the earth from there. And so Matthew quotes from the Old Testament about 67 times. Whole studies have been done as to how Matthew uses and applies the Old Testament to the life of Jesus. So that's why Matthew picks the incidents he picks from the historical birth narrative of Jesus. Since Matthew is interested in showing us how Jesus is the long-expected Jewish king, and of course the world's king as well, he tells the story of Herod's attempted assassination. Matthew is deliberately contrasting this to the account of Pharaoh who wanted to kill all the male Hebrew babies in Egypt. And the story of the wise men reminds us of Daniel's impact in Babylon and so forth. Matthew is deliberately picking those true events that will help a Jewish audience to understand the significance of the birth of Jesus. 
But Luke's not written for a Jewish audience, but rather for a Greek one, and by extension, a Roman one as well. You know, in the ancient world, Caesar Augustus was seen as conceived by the god Apollo, and he bore the title Son of God and the title Savior of the World. Augustus is seen in his imperial splendor, wrapped in power and wealth and invincibility. And in contrast, Luke wants us to see the real Son of God. Instead of being surrounded by power and wealth, he's attended by shepherds. Luke wants us to contrast the imperial splendor of worldly power with the condescending love of a God who would send his Son, born in weakness, to save those who believe. And that's the point of the differences between those two books. It's not about what really happened and what didn't. No, no. It's the difference between what a Jewish mind and what a Greek mind needed to hear in order to understand this most amazing of all births. And so this Christmas, I have decided to walk through the birth account given to us in the book of Luke. Is the account exhaustive? Does it tell us everything that happened? Well, of course not. Most decidedly not. But it does tell us what we so desperately need to hear. In a world wrapped in the gloom of darkness, a light has shone. In a world that has no idea who God really is, this one has come to reveal him. In a world so bowed down in sin and rebellion, this one has come to save us. But who's Luke? Well, from the best information we have, Luke is the only non-Jewish writer in the entire Bible. He's most likely a physician or a medical doctor. And furthermore, he's also a researcher, someone who had the patience to go over eyewitness accounts and out of them to write a thoroughly accurate and orderly account of not just the birth of Jesus, but of his entire life. Well, furthermore, Luke is also a prophet. And as an authoritative New Testament prophet, he put himself under the direct leadership of the apostles whom Jesus had chosen. And for that reason, he had access to all the people whom Jesus had trained. If there was ever a man who was able to relay to us all of the necessary information about Jesus, it's this man. So let's hear from him. Let's see what Jesus' birth has to teach us. Reflecting back on my last trip to Israel with Dr. John Neufeld, I can honestly say it was a trip that changed so much about how I read and experience the Bible. And that's why Back to the Bible Canada is offering our 2019 Israel Experience. April 28th to May 6th, Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway, the Back to the Bible team, and special musical guests will journey through the promised land. Those places you've wanted to see and experience like the Sea of Galilee, the Garden Tomb, Bethlehem, accompanied by the on-location Bible teaching of Dr. John Newfeld will become a spiritual experience of a lifetime. So don't delay. Visit backtothebible.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425 for more information or to register for the Back to the Bible Canada 2019 Israel Experience. I'm reading Luke 1, 1 1-4. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, 
just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You know, this short paragraph is an introduction to an entire book of the life of Jesus. In the Greek language in which it was written, this is one sentence, and our English translators have given it to us in exactly that way. It's written in excellent Greek, and so we get a sense that the man who's writing is in fact a scholar. Please notice that Luke says he's writing the book to a man named Theophilus. Some have pointed out that the name means lover of wisdom, but I have no reason for believing that Theophilus, well, he's just a man and that was his name. And because the book was written to only one man, I mean, some have wondered whether Luke ever imagined that the book he was writing would be so widely publicized. But remember that when, for instance, John Kelvin wrote his famous Institutes of the Christian Religion, he addressed it to Francis I, who then was the king of France. It was not that Kelvin thought that this was just between him and the king, but, but this was his way of writing. And when Luther wrote his famous Bondage of the Will, he was writing directly to the humanist scholar Erasmus, but Luther was not just responding to Erasmus. He was writing to as many people as possible. And that's what Luke is doing here. Luke is writing to as many people as possible, anyone who might be interested. It may be that Theophilus was well-known, and a letter written to him would be widely circulated. That seems quite possible. Luke wanted to reach as many people as possible. But who was this man, Theophilus? Well, in truth, we don't know. But we do know that Luke, when addressing him, wants to remind him of the things that he has been taught. Just reading it as it is gives us the impression that that Theophilus might have been a Christian and that he must have been instructed in the Christian faith. So the idea is that all Christian converts would have undergone a basic Christian education which would have helped them understand their newfound faith. That's entirely possible. Indeed, the Greek word for taught is the word katecheo, from which we get the English word catechism, that is a teaching tool to instruct new or younger Christians. But in that day, the word could also refer to someone who's been informed or someone who's received information or someone who's been educated. In that sense, I guess it is possible that Theophilus was a man who had information about Christianity, but but who had not yet been converted. But either way, Luke is writing to him to clarify what he already knows and and to help him understand that, that the information that he has received was indeed accurate. And that's what this book is. It's an accurate portrayal of the life of Jesus. But either way, whether Theophilus was a Christian or not, Luke makes it clear that his book is for a Greek audience who needs to know if what they had heard about Jesus is true or not. And so from our perspective, 2,000 years later, this book is extremely helpful. It is a well-researched book into the life of Jesus. This is a great book to use in order to help people understand what is true and what is a myth about the birth of Jesus and the Christmas story. It can help you understand that there are compelling reasons to believe that God did, in fact, send his son into the world and that what happened 
as one reads the historical narrative of the birth of Jesus, well, that might just change your life. And by the way, that's essential. Walk around any North American town or city and and look at the Christmas celebrations. You know, in some places, the lights and trees are breathtaking. The annual winter tradition, it's a, a tradition that brings warmth and joy when there's a lot of cold and dark. Christmas is a wonderful time of year. It truly is. Oh, I know. For some, especially those lacking family and friends, it can be horribly isolating and only increases the sense of feeling disenfranchised. But if for a moment you can look past the celebrations and ask yourself, is there any certainty behind these events, anything that seems solid, anything that lasts when the, you know, the last of the lights and trees come down and and life returns to what it was before? Well, there is. So Luke begins with the words, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us. So we might wonder what he's referring to. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative. I mean, we know that by the time that Luke writes, most likely the narrative of Mark has already been written. But whether or not Matthew has compiled his narrative, well, that's a matter of debate. That is, which was written first, Matthew or Luke? Well, in truth, whichever it was, both books were written in very close proximity to each other. And so, to be on the safe side, let's just say that the only narrative of the life of Jesus that we know of when Luke wrote is the narrative of Mark. It's short, it's action-oriented, it's perfectly designed to reach the Roman mind. But it doesn't contain some of the details that Luke includes in his longer account. Well, if the book of Mark was all that existed when Luke wrote, again, I mean, perhaps Matthew was written, what is this many have undertaken to compile a narrative? I mean, are there lost books from that time period that we haven't recovered? You see, it's a curious phrase, many have undertaken. Now, I think the answer has something to do with what a great many of good scholars have recognized when studying Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In a great number of places, those three accounts are virtually identical. You know, more liberal German scholars have come up with the word quelle, or translated as source. See, these scholars believe that there must have been some kind of a source document that Matthew, Mark, and Luke used when they were writing their accounts. Well, in truth, we don't know, and we can't know. It's just a theory. I have my own theory about that. You know, it seems to me that Matthew, one of the 12 apostles, was both a Levite and then for some time had become a tax collector. So both Levites and tax collectors were trained in scribal techniques and in record keeping. And so it seems quite likely to me that Matthew may have, I say, may have, he may have kept a detailed set of notes in the Aramaic language. And it may be that his notes were copied among the 12 and that these notes formed the basis for the writing of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it may be this very thing that Luke is referring to. This is the narrative that existed at his time. Now to verse 2. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Now, from that verse, we can see that Luke, who was not one of the 12 apostles, well, he actually spent a great deal of time not only examining all written records, but also interviewing the apostles and everyone else he could get his hands on. And furthermore, Luke tells us that many of the eyewitnesses were also preachers. That is to say, they not only saw Jesus, they were so transformed by him that they couldn't do anything but preach about him. 
Luke says they preached the word, which must be a reference to the Old Testament. That is to say, these eyewitnesses not only encountered Jesus and kept written notes, but they also recognized that Jesus was the fulfillment of 1,500 years of prophecy in the Old Testament. But Luke's still not done. Verse 3 says, It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So we have to assume that Luke took notes of everything he heard and then put all of his research and his personal interviews in some form of orderly fashion. And we also know that after he finished the book of Luke, I mean, Luke actually set out to write another orderly account, which carefully chronicles the first years of the birth of the Christian church after the ascension of Jesus. So in effect, what Luke is, is he is a historian. And then, of course, we come to verse 4 that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And that's the key. It is possible, it's possible to have certainty about Jesus. It's possible to know whether or not God entered into the world in human flesh. It's possible to know if God's real, if he loves us, and what it means to know him. And it is possible this Christmas to get beyond the traditions and find the real Jesus, the real story of Christmas. And so for the next two weeks, let's let Luke tell us what Christmas really means. John, as we get close to the Christmas season, there's so many other accounts of Jesus and the Christmas story and who Jesus is on media and that. Are there things we need to be watching for? What kind of counsel would you give people who watch these things? I think it's a great conversation starter with friends, uh, family, other individuals that you're in contact with, let's say at work and so forth, because they've all seen this and every one of them has, you know, how do I know that what the Bible says is any more valid than, you know, what I've heard that there are some other stories about Jesus, that kind of stuff that's going on. And I think if we understand that the Bible accounts you know, and here we're talking about the Lucan account. If we understand that the Lucan account is done by an individual who acted like a historian, examining documents that were before him and interviewing eyewitnesses, that's the kind of history that we have. Sounds so different than all of those other accounts, which sound more like comic book accounts. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series, A Well-Researched Christmas, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Christ has come into the world, but how will the world know unless God's people testify to the light? Jesus said, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. December has become a time of great blessing and celebration for the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada. In a time when those passionate about sharing the light of God's word join together to ensure it continues to be shared across the nation. December is critical in setting the stage for the year to come. And in 2019, Back to the Bible Canada will strive to share the light of Christ in more ways to more people than any other time in its 60-year history. Our goal is to raise $427,000 by December 31st, 2018. The task is significant, but by God's grace and the support of ministry friends and partners from coast to coast, it will happen. Join us in continuing to bring the light of Christ to our nation. 
call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.